listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning. Good morning. It's good to see you. Now, um, I won't be offended, but I did put some notes at the door for you to use this morning. You might have your own notebook, which is wonderful. Well done if you do. Oh, Sue's moving. Yes, Sue. Byron, could you be ready to give some out for people who would like... Like I said, I won't be offended. But, you know, maybe this will help you to remember some of what I'm going to share this morning which is great. You can doodle, you can draw, you can write bits and bobs, you can write as much as you like. But we have, um, (coughs) this morning, three scriptures that we're looking at. So, cue Nick. He's on it. So we have um, Jesus Calms the Storm, which we find in Mark 4. So it's best you sort of turn in your Bibles to around Mark 4. Then we've got Jesus heals the demon-possessed man, which is Mark 5, verse 1 to 20. And Jesus walks on water, which is Mark 6, verse 45 to 56. Now, I'm not going to read all of those scriptures this morning, but we will obviously pull out verses from those. Now, they're they're quite big events that happened, aren't they? And I've been given all three. Woo! Yeah, the Lord's got this. Um... But I just pray that this morning I can pull out, as God has given me, some amazing truths about who God is from these scriptures. So are you there in your Bibles? Excellent. So we know, don't we, that the sovereignty of God in the Bible over all things is pervasive and all-encompassing. And in Mark's Gospel, we see a different display of this great power And that's the power of God in action through Jesus. And the opening chapters that we've looked at so far, we've seen Jesus' amazing power to call people, to teach, to heal, to cast out demons. But the scriptures today are looking specifically at Jesus' power over nature. Now, I know these are stories that we know, stories, events that we know them really well, don't we? But I just pray this morning, just like we know scriptures, some scriptures really well, they were our memory verses in Sunday school, I just pray that we won't miss their scale and their significance. Jesus upholds everything. Colossians 1 says this, it'll come up on the screen. The Son is the image of the invisible God. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth, in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." Isn't that a wonderful scripture? In fact, we could just go home. (laughs) Joking, joking. I haven't put this Benny suit on for nothing. 
No, actually, Darlene Jack. I'll go for Darlene. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus upholds everything, the fullness of God dwelling in Jesus. And these three miracles that we're looking at today, they demonstrate Jesus' divine power and they evidence that he truly is the Son of God. Jesus is the one by whom, through whom, and for whom all things were made. And here he uses his authority over the forces of nature. So the question we're going to look at today is the same one that the disciples ask of Jesus in Mark 4, verse 41. And that is, who is this? Are we ready? Excellent. You know, you can give me some amens. I know you're not all Pentecostal background, whatever. But just saying, I was in a Pentecostal church two weeks ago preaching and they gave lots of amens, not because of me, but because of the truth. Even if it's just the scriptures that you are men, I'm down with that. So who is this? Next slide. I'm going to split it into two sections, which is like what you've got on your sheets. Jesus shows his divinity and Jesus comes near with his divinity. So the first one, Jesus shows his divinity. So hopefully you're in Mark chapter 4 verse 35. So, as we said, the overriding theme so far in Mark has been Jesus' identity being revealed by what he does. And, you know, the disciples have a front seat, don't they, to the teachings about God's kingdom that Jesus is sharing and the miracles that he's performing. And hearing God's word, as we know, is intended to produce faith. And here, in the storm, this is the first scripture we're looking at, their faith is tested. We need to remember that this storm was more than these skilled fishermen had experienced before. But it was going to be used by Jesus to teach them incredible things about himself. It's as though the storm became the classroom for their spiritual education. Moreover, we see the deity and divinity of Jesus in his power over the storm. He displays his omnipotence and power over nature as the creator of it. And, you know, the, the disciples have seen Jesus' power on display so far, but at this moment seems to start a shift for them in their thinking about who Jesus was. And they knew that when they asked the question, who is this? That this type of power that Jesus was displaying was reserved for God alone. Why did they know that? Because they knew the scriptures held the answer. Rebuking the storm doesn't just represent Jesus' power, but his identity. Security in the high seas will only be found in the one who commands them. So on this next slide, Nick. Only God splits the sea. Only God stirs up the sea. Only God calms the sea. And there's some scriptures. If you want to write, you don't have to write them all down, but if you want to, you can. These, are, they, these scriptures, and there's, there's loads more than even this, they provide the Jewish context and show multiple times to us how God and only God has power and sovereignty over the oceans. Isn't that wonderful? I just want to pull this one out from Psalm 107. 
And it says, he made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. And this verse, like so many others, it, it offers us a foreshadow of this moment where Jesus is in the boat, doesn't it, with his disciples. And the disciples would know these very scriptures. You know, they were seeing, but they weren't quite yet understanding that their teacher friend had dominion over the natural world. The revelation of Jesus' glory and his identity, it just started to dawn on them that God himself had become man and was in the boat with them. Emmanuel, God's with us. So let's go back to our scripture and look at verse 39, which I'm going to read. He got up, Jesus, rebuked the wind, the waves, and said to the wind, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. You can see, now I am not a Greek scholar, by the way, um, but um, through all the reading and research I did, this is what I found. So there's two words for afraid here, for fear. And the first one, when Jesus asks them why they're afraid, the root word here is deloi, which gives the sense of cowardly fear, for, for lacking courage. When the storm raged, when it started to happen, the disciples believed it was more powerful than Jesus, and they acted accordingly. They were fearful. They were desperate. They were anxious. It created panic. And, you know, Jesus rebukes them for fearing the lesser power over the greater power. But then the second one, they were terrified and asked, who is this? It has a different Greek root word. And this one is, I want to say this in a French accent, but it's not a French word. Phobon. Okay. You're trying it now, Phobon. <laughs> this fear is different. It's different to the fear of the storm. It wasn't an oppressive fear. It didn't impose constrictive limits or leave them cowering. This fear is a reverent fear. They were left in awe of Jesus. And you know, this fear opened up a whole universe of possibilities to them. What was dawning on them, as we've said, is that this person in the boat had absolute supreme power over nature. And if the natural world obeyed, what would be possible with him? And the answer we know is nothing. Jesus himself says in Mark 10, all things are possible with God. So then it's not just a story, is it, about how Jesus can smooth over the rough trials in our lives and calm the seas of our circumstances. Yes, he can heal our diseases. Thought that get an amen. Yes, he can restore relationships. Yes, he can bring financial freedom and so on, so on. In fact, he alone can. But more importantly, and what I've prayed about today, is that God wants us, he wants you, to trust him for who he truly is. The one who even the winds and the waves obey. And my prayer has been that we would 
ask that same question that the disciples did. Who is this? That we in our lives would have a fresh revelation of just who God is and that we would stand in awe and reverence of him in all his glory and grace. I pray that we will shift our focus from ourselves and our circumstances, the storm, to the one who holds the universe in the palm of his hand. Have we got any Psalms fans in the house? No, oh, it's supposed to give a whoop. Whoop. In so many of the Psalms, don't they? They begin with um, David <laughs> pouring out his heart to God. He's lamenting. He's talking about this. Um, catalogue of calamities, things that are going wrong. Actually, it weren't just things that were going wrong. He was being chased by Saul who wanted to kill him. But, you know, something I love about David is he always makes a conscious effort to remember who God is. So many of the Psalms that we read, they start off not so great. But then there's a shift. There's a shift. There's a change in the Psalm. As for David, God's glory starts to stream into view. I love, oh, hang on. Oh, I, was say, I love the yets and the buts, but oh, I said that. The yets and the buts in the scripture, but I will sing of your strength in the morning. Despite this, yet I will sing of your love, for you are my fortress and my refuge. Isn't that wonderful? David chooses to turn his heart heavenwards and he starts declaring who God is before his circumstances even change. Here's some of his words. He knows that God is a rescuer, a defender. He is faithful. He is a fortress. God is merciful, a deliverer. He is everlasting. God is strong, mighty and triumphant. And you know, for us, isn't it easy? I'll I'll say this because I can speak on my own behalf. It's so easy to read the word, to come into prayer and worship times. And we're, we're just focused, let's be honest, on us and our situations. We talked about this in Into the Word last week, how sometimes when we open the Bible, it's only to get something back like a bit of a glimpse back of something we need from God in that moment. That's not how God wants us to read his word. It's not how God wants us to come to times of worship. God, give me a scripture today to help me because I'm just really struggling. Or send someone with a word for me. Now, God is gracious and he will still do that. But that's not how we should approach the King of Kings. Our focus shouldn't just be on what God can do but who he is. If you've read the um, story, The Feeding of the 5,000 before, it's really important, Jesus says, he doesn't just give bread for provision. He is the bread of life. Instead, we should come with a deep sense of awe and wonder at the majesty of the one who is sovereign over all things. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. Now, we're going to do something a little bit different. Is that okay? I don't even know what it is yet. (laughs) So can we stand together? We're not finished.
if you can stand, great. If you can't, that's also fine. At home, if you want to stand up and join us. Let's just close our eyes. We're going to spend some time just fixing our eyes on Jesus. If you want to kneel, you can. God, we stand in awe of who you are. We behold you. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And you are here right now, God. your hands to him you can
upon you and we look at your wonderful face may all other things become dim around us as we behold you in all your glory and all your grace Thank you, God. Who is this? What child is this? He's God, Emmanuel. We stand in awe of you, God, for who you are. Amen. So... Jesus shows his divinity. The second part, Jesus comes near with his divinity. <laughs> Moses lived in faith, intimacy and obedience with God. But although he communed with God daily, he couldn't see his face directly. And Moses, Moses was desperate in Exodus 33 it says Moses said to God show me your glory and God's reply I will cause all my goodness to pass by in front of you and I will proclaim my name the Lord in your presence you know Moses was not able to see God's face in fact if you read the rest of the scripture it says he only glimpsed his back God showed Moses his glory but from afar. Job, too, he agonizes over the distance between him and God. He says, behold, he, God, passes by me, and I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. 
God told Elijah to go out onto the mountain and wait for the Lord to pass by. Now, there's a bit of a repeated phrase there, pass by. God's passing by is not a distant thing. God's passing by is a revelation. It's what God did in order to show and to proclaim his glory, his grace, his power, and his justice. As God passed by Moses and Job and Elijah and other people in the Old Testament, not just people, heroes of the Old Testament, there's a nearness of his presence, but there's also a distance. Now we're looking at Mark 6, verse 45. So if you flick over or press the arrow forward. Mark 6, and we're looking at verses 45 to 52. So now we find the disciples, they're back in the boats, Aldea. They're straining at the oars this time, no sails. And they are battling against the wind, verse 48. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. He'd seen them struggling. He was about to pass by them. There's that phrase again. And they were afraid. In verse 50, it says, Jesus spoke to them and said, it is I. So three words there. Any Greek scholars among you know what two words they are in Greek? It is I. What could Jesus be saying? I am. I heard someone whisper it. I am. Jesus is saying, it is I. I am. And this is God's name. We know when he comes to deliver Israel in Exodus 3. He says, I am who I am. Isn't that so powerful? It's, it's a, a direct assertion of Jesus' deity and his divinity. And not only... Does Jesus reveal himself to the disciples as Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament? But then he gets in the boat with them. He comes near to them with his divinity. You know, God showed the men of the Old Testament his glory from afar. He passed by them, just a glimpse. But now Jesus shows us his face. He not only confirms his divine identity, but now also his accessibility. We can look full in his wonderful face. Ephesians 2 verse 17 says, and he preached the good news of peace to you who were far away, this is the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near the Jews, for it is through him that we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Now I'm going to ask you to turn again to Mark 5, so flip back. Mark 5, verse 1 to 20. And here we find the story of a man far away. So he was in, on the other side. He was in a Gentile region. He was on the other side of Galilee in a place called Gadarene. And this was a, a Gentile region um, in an area called Decapolis, which is an area of 10 cities, not from Superman. And as we know, Gentiles were considered unclean to Jews. But Jesus here, as he gets out the boat, he's entering a world of all things unclean. Not only the region, but a graveyard. Tombs were considered unclean. There's a naked man here. He's demon-possessed. 
It's an area of pig farming which was considered unclean to the Jews. In fact, just getting out of the boat would have made Jesus unclean. But Jesus broke the Jewish law in order to teach the spirit of the law. To him, no one is so unclean, so far from God, that he or she is beyond the loving, redeeming reach of Jesus. Jesus had already travelled a far greater distance than the width of the Galilean Sea to transform and deliver this tortured man, as he did. He'd left his heavenly home and the glory of heaven. Jesus came that far for you, that you would draw near. And isn't it wonderful? Jesus delivers this man from many evil spirits. He sends them into the pigs, another display of his authority over nature. In verse 14, it says this. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. The Greek, you guessed it, for afraid is a different word this time. It's phobio, and it means to be terrified to the point of flight. So instead of standing in the awe of Jesus, in awe of Jesus and this amazing transformation and healing that he had done, instead they beg that Jesus leave. But to the man who was healed, Jesus says this. Go home. Don't you love that? This man had lived in total isolation. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. Just a little side note here. Amazingly, further on in Mark 7, Jesus returns to this area and the the people there were begging Jesus, the same Greek word as begging him to leave originally, they were now begging Jesus for healing. So we know that this man did indeed go home and tell the people what what Jesus had done for him. Isn't that wonderful? You know, this man was the only reason that Jesus and his disciples journeyed to this place, remember, through the storm. Jesus could have passed on by, literally, and avoided this place altogether. No one would have thought anything different. But instead, he passed by in all his glory. God incarnate, God with us. Jesus came near. And even before the demon-possessed man met him, Jesus was already on his way to change his life. Guys, I just want to encourage you today, no matter what we face, Jesus is already on his way. He wants us to see and to know his divine identity, and he wants to come near us with his divinity, bringing transformation. Isn't that wonderful? I just want to finish with this psalm. Psalm 75 says, We give thanks and praise to you, for your wonderful works declare that you are near.
So who is this? Jesus showed us his divinity. He was Yahweh, the fullness of God, Emmanuel, God with us. And we, we took a moment, didn't we, to just stand in awe of who he is and revere him for who he is. And just come back to Sandra's word that, you know, we've met with the living God today. We've experienced him and his presence. That should change us. So when we go out, we are a different people. God, I pray that this morning we will go out a changed people because we have met with you. We've looked at your face, Jesus, and all the fullness of its glory. And I pray that we go out changed so the people that we meet will know something of God's presence with us each day this week. Don't you want that? We do. And then Jesus comes near with his divinity. Not only do we see Jesus in all his glory pass by, but he comes near to us and gets in our boat. Amen. We're going to stand, if that's okay. I'm going to pray. I have the band, a reduced band. A bit quieter. And we're just going to worship God. I just want to pray this over us, if that's okay. I feel like it's a bit of a prophetic prayer. The Lord is near. He is close and he sees you. If you're struggling and straining under your circumstances, he comes to you today, Yahweh. The one who the wind and the waves obey. Emmanuel, God with us. And he passes by you with all his glory and power, revealing who he is. The one who set the constellations in place. The one who has the power to overturn mountains. The one who dries up the sea so his people can pass safely. He's on the way to bring transformation. There is nothing that you can, can separate you from him. He walked an even harder road than the path across the water. Jesus walked the road to the cross and he did it just for you. The Lord is near. He is more than able. Nothing is too difficult for him. Fix your eyes on him. Declare his goodness. Praise him for all he is for all he has done, for all he is doing, and all he will do. Deliverance is waiting on the other side. Lord, show us your glory. felt that prayer resound in your heart this morning you know you've been struggling you know it's possible to be around Jesus and not know who he is 
I pray this morning you will not go out feeling that way, straining at the oars, battling against the wind. But instead, you would stand in awe of God. If that is you, I want to invite you forward. We want to pray for you. Don't go out still feeling that that battle is going on, that you're struggling. We want to pray for you that you will meet with the living God. And guys, if that's not you, I pray that you go home full of God's glory, that we can open up the doors and let the music play. I pray that over the rest of us. But if you know you need to meet with God this morning, please come forward. And we just want to pray with you. Let's worship God. Sunday celebrations and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website